Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of our favorite spacefaring franchise on the road to season two of its latest entry, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined as usual by members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Howdy, howdy. And the captain of the evening, Mr. Cicero Holmes. I thought I'd keep you company. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Well, we are back with you today to continue our look at our panel's choices for all-time favorite Star Trek episodes. Although by the end of this discussion, we may be putting an asterisk on that a little bit, but not too much. But this week's selection comes from Podcasting Impresario and the heart and soul of this crew, Mr. Cicero Holmes. Decided to go in a bit of a different direction with his choice for favorite. And I can tell you that I certainly didn't see it coming. I can't speak for the rest of the panel, but certainly surprised the hell out of me because his choice is none other than season two, episode 23 of the unique and polarizing prequel series in the Star Trek franchise, at least before Discovery. And it acts, of all things, as a sequel to the events of the 1996 film Star Trek First Contact. The episode is titled, of course, Regeneration. But first, as always, how have you guys been doing and engaging with Star Trek since we last got together? Cicero, what have you been up to besides uh, coordinating the discussion that we are about to have about your choice? Has there been any other Trek interactions for you since the last time we got together? Uh, No, Um, this has consumed all of my time. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Um, no, it, uh, yeah, man, you know, there's, there's been a lot going on just in life. Uh, so I haven't been able to kind of lose myself in Star Trek in, in a while. Uh, I haven't played any more Star Trek adventures, uh, from, uh, the Roll20 app, uh, mm-hmm. uh, tabletop game. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's been about it, man. Yeah. Well, understandable. I, I can certainly relate to, life getting in the way uh how about you zachy what have you been doing if anything in terms of star trek engagement since the last time because it's been a while since we got to talk to you uh it has been a while yeah you know i'm just uh i'm i'm taking a breather i'm uh i've been so swamped with with uh school and you know the, we're we're in uh, the the final stretch of, of finals and whatnot so i just uh but any free time is is uh, uh, spent sleeping as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so you're taking a, an exhausting breather, so to speak. And that's exactly right. Yeah. So so hopefully, uh, you know, once uh, Christmas break starts, I can I can start uh, going through my my chronological streaming project again. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that again. It's, yeah, it's been a while, and I know it that has- it was kind of a favorite among some listeners. They loved hearing how how that journey was. They really like some of the feedback that I've gotten over the course of the time we've had this show has centered on Cicero's and Zaki's respective journeys in diving into the back catalog of Star Trek content. So I, uh, hopefully you guys will be able to resume those sooner rather than later because it's always fun. I think what I said before is that I've, I basically, when it comes to next gen, we have stopped just before all good things. Right. And, and, you know, I feel like, Hey, if I don't watch it, it never really ended. (laughs) So. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, technically, maybe it still hasn't if, you, uh, you know, one of our sure. news items, we're going to get to that. But uh, the continuing mission continues, right? Exactly. Exactly. 
Rachel, how have you been interacting with Star Trek? I think you might be 0 for 3 here, Chris, because oh, I don't think I've been really interacting with it. You guys are depressing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have an excuse. My life's not that exciting or anything. <laughs> I just decided to watch other things. Yeah. The Last Kingdom and the Great British Baking Show. and Mostly just British things. <laughs> right. Well, we've been watching the new uh, the, the Gauntlet for Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's yeah. been a oh. lot of fun. Huh. Atlantic Rim is awful. Uh, oh, so yes. I I saw that without uh without the threat. <laughs> so, well 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 hey I, I mean it's it's entertaining sure in, in a in a terrible kind of way but hey more power to you man i don't know if i'd, I'd be able to power through it maybe i'll have to give it a try sometime that um, and transmorphers <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're a fan of this production company uh because I think they Which did. Which has never lost money on a production. Yeah, before. we looked into it. They never. They. They. At least they claim to have never lost any money on any of the movies. That they. I mean, Atlantic Rim. I think was like a five hundred thousand dollar movie, so they didn't put a ton into it. But right. hey didn't lose money, which is some business wizardry right there. Um. Well, as far as my interaction with Trek, I mean. I think uh, Cicero and I both alluded to the idea that last time I was stuck in the Wild West, not unlike uh, Doc Brown getting blasted to 1885, only in my case it's 1899 because I've been playing so much Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, I have finished the story. Oh, I have okay. finished the epilogue of, oh. of that game, and it is one of the single most heart-wrenching video game experiences I have ever had. And it's probably the single best prequel to anything I've ever absorbed. So highly recommended. Uh, But (laughs) when it comes to Star Trek, I actually did play through the story offering for the Age of Discovery expansion on Star Trek Online. There wasn't a lot to it. I enjoyed what was there. Uh, Mary Wiseman as Tilly uh, in a video game environment was awesome. They did a good job of um, of recreating the Discovery aesthetic and the the weapons and the ships and the Klingons. And Ripper himself even appears in the story that you play through, which I thought was really cool. Uh, they did a really great job recreating the um, the effect of the, the Spore Jump, which was awesome. Pulse weapons, unlike some of the other weapons in, on the other ships. Totally in spirit with Star Trek. Daniels from Enterprise actually does make an appearance in the campaign, but it also just kind of leads you back into the primary campaign, which I guess shouldn't be that surprising uh, since that's most of the content of the game anyways is, you know, all the stuff that's existed there before. But basically you start as a discovery captain. There's shenanigans with Daniels. And you're basically plugged right back into the game as it stood now for, mo- for gosh, eight years. So they say that they're going to add more Discovery expansion material, which I'm looking forward to playing, even though I'll be playing it on console. So like a month after PC players get it. But for what it is and for how it represents the Discovery show, not bad. I'm looking forward to seeing more. And it sounds like they're making it. Uh, but as usual, before we head into the full episode discussion that we have for you tonight... Let's discuss some Star Trek news first. The biggest news I think we have to touch on is related to the next edition, the Star Trek's television lineup. 
At UBS's annual Global Media and Communications Conference, CBS Chief Creative Officer David Nivens, Nivens, plural, not Niven, like the mustache man, yeah, gave a little bit to <laughs> David Nivens, like to a, like Mad Rocks the Multiple Man. And there's just two of the same guy. <laughs> well, he gave a little bit of lip service to Star Trek's importance, potentially growing importance in CBS's future. And one seemingly throwaway line from him constituted a pretty big news item. According to him, the new series centered on the continuing adventures of Captain Jean-Luc Picard will be premiering by the end of next year, 2019, not in 2020, as was originally thought. Uh, Zachy, what do you think of that? We're getting we're getting Picard and we're getting him sooner than than we expected. The only thing that we know for sure is that it's supposed to go into production in April. Hey, make it so, right? Um, the the only I mean it's it's all it's all optimism right now. It's, there's only, the only question mark I have is uh, what what is this show, right? What is sure. it, because what we've heard from uh, uh, the, you know the other uh, his his crew members, his crewmates, is that. Uh, it doesn't involve them. Right. And so the question is, well, what is, who is John Luke Picard uh, without his crew around him? And, and uh, while I have no doubt I'm interested in that, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what, what's the narrative end game? Because they, they've said that this is not like a limited series. It's meant to be open-ended. So, mm-hmm. uh, Hey, we get it sooner. That's great. Cause we get to hopefully answer those questions sooner than we would have expected. Yeah. And I think that that's a good point. If it is open-ended, I have, I guess a general optimism that at least some of the other crew members will show up at some point. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Did you guys expect this to be like a, a full on TNG reunion? Cause it was never really in the cards, at least as far as news that had come out. I don't know. Rachel, did you ever think that this would be like a full blown reunion? Um, I hope that the, uh, the other crew members would make an appearance. Yeah. And I am not convinced that's not going to happen. Right. right. It's a weird double, double negative. I am convinced <laughs> right. that, that is going to happen. Yeah. Um, in some capacity, eventually, especially if it's successful. Sure. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's obviously not them all together. And, and that's good because it's not really a reboot. Or I think it'll be cooler if it's like a different thing than TNG. Sure, not it's really not a reboot. trying to be TNG no, again. No, it, like it's Frasier, where like Sam TNG. Malone shows up again. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah I hadn't really Frasier. thought of it in those terms before. Cicero, what do you think about this? So, guys, um, I, I already know what the show is going to be. Oh, really? So um, Inside info? Yeah. So, um, so the show is going to be... The holodeck adventures of John Luke Picard. <laughs> so every episode could just be some dumb story from <laughs> from you know the lost files of all of John Luke Picard's holodeck adventures. So you could do anything. This and- entire season is just Shakespeare plays. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and 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 of course, there's got to be cameos it's i'm telling you it's going to play out like a dramatic sitcom it is this is this is take it to the bank guys Uh, (laughs) all right i'd love nothing more than to take it to the bank Uh, yeah i mean i think i'm 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. Yeah, no kidding. I'm in general uh, agreement with you guys, especially when it comes to being optimistic. I mean, I think that I, I don't know. My, my feelings on it are complicated in the sense that I'm not sure I necessarily needed to see everybody all together again. I certainly hope to see everybody at some point because I think that uh, the canon in general could do with seeing these characters again. And, and who knows? I mean, since we're in this era, it it opens up possibilities for, if not appearances, then at least new information from shows like uh, like Voyager and Deep Space Nine, which I would certainly love to hear about. Um, it, it, I'm sure that it will probably bring a fair amount of criticism because like Star Wars, when Star Wars went into a whole other direction from established expanded universe continuity, not that Star Trek EU has nearly as much of a fan base as apparently Star Wars EU does, but uh, you know, there are documented stories and adventures of what these people went on to do. And I know that there are people who are kind of, for lack of a better term, married to those ideas, but I certainly hope that we get some more information and hopefully a couple of appearances from these characters, but I'm, I'm generally optimistic about what the outlook of the show is. Um, the, the interesting thing for me was the phrasing that was used that it would appear by the end of 2019, mm-hmm. which puts it uh, presumably if, if, you know, uh, knock on wood discovery gets a season three, Mm-hmm. would put it up against season three discovery, right? If it starts in November, December, limited run, maybe, you know, maybe it leads you directly into discovery, but well, that's there may actually, be some overlap. That that's that actually brings up the, the next thing that I, I wanted to talk about because uh, Nivens talked a little bit more about Star Trek and said that short treks is not a short thing it's something that they plan on running with and one of the ways that they're running with it is to fill the void between ongoing gaps between the full seasons of the various star trek shows and he specifically said including between discovery season two and the picard show so this is clearly to keep us all engaged in the franchise but of course also in cbs all access You're never going to be able to cancel this <laughs> hey but I mean, I told you at the very beginning, CBS gives Star Trek, we give money. It's just kind of, this is kind of the note. But Cicero, I think that um, because of that, they would probably stagger things uh, unless they wanted to concurrently running Star Trek shows. But I kind of doubt that they'd want to blow their wad on a schedule like that, especially if they're going to be able to sort of string us along for the long term, which... Mm -hmm. They got me. If they're going to keep me on a on a steady drip of Star Trek, then I don't see myself going anywhere. I mean, really, Rachel, do you? Do you? I, I don't know. The answer is no. That's that's the answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 I mean, if that is the answer, then then really what they've got to do is do a good job of creating content that that interests the people that are on the steady drip. Oh yes. Yes. And, and I mean, that's, that's going to be something that uh, I'm sure that fans will hold them accountable for if the, the content isn't quite up to snuff with expectations uh, or even, you know, if, 
because fan expectation is such a weird topic these days, but if it, if it just doesn't deliver in general, like if it's a total version of what makes Star Trek great, then that's one thing, but I've got some, I've got faith in them, especially considering how discovery is performed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, but on that note, you know, Zachy, we didn't get to ask you about the Calypso short. Did you get a chance to watch that? I have not seen it. My, I hang my head in shame. (laughs) <laughs> I submit myself to the Klingon council for a discommendation. Rurapente with you. Uh, well, we'll just keep asking you about it until, uh, until you have seen it. Until I, will, next time. I, I will make it happen. Yeah. I think you, I mean, if I were to guess, you probably like it. It was, I, I, yeah. I mean, I wasn't blown away by the, uh, you know, the, 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 the earlier one, but uh, Hey, you know, hope, hope springs eternal. It's a pretty different, um, yeah, they're very different. Pretty different exploitation. Um, okay, so I'll be interested to hear your thoughts about it. Well, we've got um, we have one final news item, and that's that Deadline is reporting that Michelle Yeoh is in talks to reprise her role as the mirror version of Philippa Giorgio to star in her own potential Section Thirty One series. So this would potentially be the third. Mm. Yes. to the lineup of Star Trek offerings on CBS All Access. The only clue as to the possible show's content lies in a sentence on the report that reads, it looks likely to focus on a continuation of her season two adventures from Discovery in Starfleet Section 31 division. Rachel, what do you think of this? What's Deadline? Is this real? Yeah, Deadline <laughs> is, a, is an industry <laughs> trade. It is, you, you, you can pretty much count on it, yeah. Oh, um, that's cool. That seems like kind of small potatoes for Michelle Yeoh, but I mean, if if they can pay her what she, the the fees that she commands, that could be kind of a cool series. I don't know. I mean, if they're making this many series, <laughs> uh, like some of them are gonna suck, right? Maybe just by law of averages. Yeah, I, I mean, it's possible. Sure. But I will love them nonetheless. So. <laughs> well, you you like Section Thirty One stuff in DS Nine. Yeah, I do. Not as much as you. But... Not as much as me. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Section Thirty One. Zachy, what do you think about this? I know that uh, you know this doesn't take place in the mirror universe, but it feel it features a mirror universe character. But it's also one of I think one of the more interesting aspects introduced into Star Trek canon. How do those things kind of combine for you? I don't know, man. We're inching real close to Zachy's agony booth here. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I think that, uh, uh, insofar as Michelle Yeoh doing it, I think, uh, you know, this is one of the richer characters she's had an opportunity to portray in a while. You know, in terms of, especially in, in on in an American production, uh, where there's there's the whole gamut of of uh, uh, development that's that's been done and that that's open to her. You know, we can see her potentially go from from ha- having to sort of adapt to you know the the prime universe's concepts of morality and stuff. And I would assume that's what got her intrigued is that sure. they were pre- presented her with some kind of an arc. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I can't say the idea of a Section Thirty One series is hugely interesting to me. I like. Uh, you know, my, my partner, Brian says that certain characters or concepts are just like the spice in the stew. And I mm. think, I think to me that section 31, um, 
but you know, hey, what the hell? I, I don't I don't see anything wrong with with the people in charge rolling the dice on more Star Trek. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, they've determined based on whatever the threshold is for an audience on on CBS All Access that uh, it's it's worth that risk. And I would assume they know better than we do. You know what kind of audience they're expecting. So, yeah, I mean, three potentially concurrent Star Trek shows is yeah. like a peak. That... Isn't it four because of that lower decks animated Yeah, technically. Sitcom? Yeah, I mean, four, three live action, yeah. or at least potentially live action recurring shows. I mean, that's a peak we haven't seen or potentially even surpassing a peak that we haven't seen since the 90s when it comes to new Star Trek productions. So that's pretty exciting. Cicero, how does this strike you, Michelle Yeoh as uh, Emperor Giorgio in a Section Thirty One show? So um, we've we will have a lot of Star Trek. Um, there is a chance for fatigue. I, I kind of I look at the Star Wars franchise currently, the cinematic franchise, um, where I think they they kind of uh, uh, you know. Um, Put the back themselves into a corner by releasing two Star Wars films within six months um, mm-hmm. instead of going annually. And, um, you know, I would hope that uh, Star Trek doesn't do that. Um, but uh, having said that, the three ideas that they have for concurrent uh, series are three ideas that I really like, that I'm very intrigued by. Um, you know, one mm-hmm. of which, of course, being Discovery. Um, the other being the unnamed Picard series that's going to be the holodeck adventures of uh, Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> and 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 the third and the third being uh, you know Emperor Giorgio in Section Thirty One. Yeah, that's a match made in heaven. Um, you know, let's let's do it. So uh, I'd love to watch that. Sure, and you know, I mean, um, the premiere of a of a Star Trek TV show on kind of a niche streaming service is not nearly the Let's say the cultural onslaught that a Star Wars movie is, right? Right. You know, where it's sure. where it's dominating every consumer product that someone sees. I mean, you could wipe your ass with a stormtrooper's face if you want to right. when a Star Wars movie comes out. And uh, Star Trek is generally a little more understated when whenever it shows up, particularly on television. But right. yeah, I'm with you. I think it 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 sounds like an interesting idea. She definitely gave one of the more memorable performances on Discovery in the in the first season. And hopefully we'll be seeing more of her soon in season two and maybe even in her own show. Who knows? But now we move on to the whole reason that we're here to talk about an episode that one of our panelists has determined to be at least a favorite in the <laughs> franchise. Yeah, uh, you're you're selling it short. <laughs> <laughs> so the episode we're going to be discussing today is, I think, one of the more polarizing ones of the run of Enterprise because of how it plays with the continuity of the larger franchise to bring a primary 24th century adversary into the picture 200 years ahead of schedule. But I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about as Cicero jumps into the show's center seat to guide us through the journey of regeneration from Star Trek Enterprise Season 2. So having said that, Cicero, you have the con. Thank you very much, Captain. Arctic Circle, Earth, March 1st, 2153. The A6 survey team 
a three-person crew discovered several broad drones from a Borg sphere that crash-landed there, presumably from the Borg who traveled, uh, who time-traveled to prevent first contact from the Star Trek motion picture of the same name. It doesn't take long before the scientifically curious trio predictably buck uh, against logic to leave the drones to their own assimilating devices. With more able-bodied drones, they quickly turn the survey vessel into a warp-capable spacefaring transport. We find the crew of the Enterprise on the bridge after Captain Archer receives a communique from Starfleet. They are the closest vessel to this hijacked transport that is now traveling faster than any transport that size should be able to travel. The crew finds the vessel attacking a Tarkalian freighter. Uh, the Enterprise chases off the Borg transport, but stays to rescue the two remaining Tarkalian crew members. Dr. Phlox and Sickbay discovers that there are nanoprobes implanted into the unconscious Tarkalian survivors. And we, of course, as the, uh, as the audience, know exactly what that means. And he's trying to discover a way to neutralize them when both of the Tarkalians come to inject Phlox with the nanoprobes and escape to terrorize the ship. Dr. Phlox, aware that he's entering the nascent changes of assimilation, submits to quarantine and is hell-bent on finding a cure. Lieutenant Reed, meanwhile, takes a team to repel the Borg. They've modified paneling and hacked into the Enterprise plasma and warp systems. The Borg adapt to the attacks from Reed's team, forcing Archer to jettison the former Tarkalians into space. Phlox informs Archer that he has developed a cure of sorts for uh, Denoblians, which is flooding the system uh, with Omicron radiation. Apparently, the effects of Borg assimilation affect all species differently, and Denoblian physiology is more resistant to assimilation than most, uh, than most providing Phlox with the opportunity to save himself. Archer talks to T'Pol, and says that he remembers that Zephram Cochran once talked about crazy aliens from the future whose goal was to enslave the human race. To Paul remembered that Zephram Cochran was often drunk. <laughs> the crew happens upon the transport once again. This time it's much faster and much bigger than when we last saw it. The Borg transport reactivates the booby trap systems aboard Enterprise and starts their attack. Archer and Reed beam aboard the transport and successfully load explosives on the Borg's transport exhaust port, the exhaust port, uh, in quotes, disabling it. And Archer, realizing uh, there is no one on board worth saving, orders it destroyed. Fox tells Archer and T'Pol about his experience being part of the collective and that they kept repeating the coordinates to Earth and sending them to some far off coordinates which turn out to be deep in the Delta Quadrant, where it won't be received until the 24th century. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right, so things, things seen in this episode, but didn't really, we didn't really talk about, um, is T'Pol feeling completely dispassionate about the fate of any of the sentient beings put in front of her. Um, Trip Tucker being the every man who discovers the back door to the Borg, uh, to the Borg hack of the Enterprise system, just in the nick of time, I might add, and giving Reed inspiration for properly fighting these aliens. Um, Dr. Flox cares more about his animals than he does his, his own mortality. 
Uh, Sato is very hot for Doctor and seemingly everyone else. Uh, she settles for feeding his animals instead of his libido, however. So, <laughs> um, Mayweather, well, he knows how to fly the ship. He's really good <laughs> at flying the ship and letting people know he knows how to tell time. Uh, and Archer stubbornly commands. One scene has him assigning a guard to watch over Dr. Phlox after he's been infected. But it's the same guard that was on duty and incapacitated by the newly drawn Tarkalians. So, like, <laughs> come on. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's basically what happened in this episode. Um, and I will say that, uh, of course, you know, even in the, in the, the way that I kind of delivered everything, it was... You know, like there is a little tongue in cheek watching this episode, um, but I th- I still think it's great for a lot of reasons. And and so, you know, let's talk about some of the, some of those things. So first off, uh, what did you guys think of the episode overall? And uh, has your opinion changed since the first time you saw it? Uh, you know, um, I guess I'll start with you, Chris. OK, uh, has my opinion changed? Yes. Okay. When I first saw this, uh, you know, it was funny because I wasn't actually watching Enterprise all that often while it was on the air. You know, 2001 the, and up, the show that I was primarily watching was Smallville. Sure. And I checked into some other things from time to time, including Enterprise. I had watched the first few episodes of the first season. Then, you know, for whatever reason, I fell out of it. I was in eighth grade when Enterprise started. So I just got distracted, I guess. But uh, I saw an ad on UPN that had the Borg and I immediately just went, what the hell is going on here? So I had to tune into it. And I think that there was a view spike for regeneration, yes. if I'm remembering yes. correctly. And I, I was a part of that. And, uh, you know, at the time I was a kid, but I was still pretty cognizant of the, uh, the anachronism of having the Borg show up in the 22nd century uh, because I had seen Star Trek The Next Generation and I had known and I read the Star Trek encyclopedia cover to cover so I knew when the Borg had first shown up in the timeline. And uh, this, at the time it came out, was one of the things in my mind that made me go, that's why I don't watch this show on a regular basis. But in the fullness of time, particularly when I revisited Enterprise several years later and watched it in its entirety from beginning to end, I think this episode could have been a lot worse than it ended up being. (laughs) Uh, This was not Acquisition, the Enterprise episode that featured the unnamed Ferengi, which I think is far more of an offense to the integrity of the canon than Regeneration is because Regeneration has the benefit of being rather firmly attached to one of the best stories that the franchise has produced on the big screen. And, uh, and I love when, you know, when the shows can be sequel to the movies and the movies can be sequels to the shows and, and, uh, so on and so forth. So, you know, there, I I like that this episode has quite a few nods, even in dialogue to first contact. There are lines that are ripped right out of first contact that they use post teams at every access point, you know, Picard and Archer say the same thing. Don't let them touch you. Flock says that that's another line from Picard. Even 
will be there in less or they'll, they'll be here in less than an hour. That was a line <laughs> that was in first contact that showed up in regeneration. So it could have been much, much worse than it was. It's certainly not my favorite episode of Enterprise, but I I enjoy it much more now for what it is than I did when I first watched it. All right. Well said. Well said. Um, next up, uh, Rachel. Rachel, what do you what did you think? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to disappoint Chris. Why? Because I I liked this episode <laughs> really yeah and so when i first watched it i don't know you know i don't really have any memory of first watching right. it but i got it in my head that i hated it mm-hmm. and i think i lumped it in with the ferengi sure retcon thing and it wasn't as bad as that and so actually watching the episode i enjoyed it i had a good time um as i do with most Enterprise episodes, actually, I should probably rewatch it because I've I've watched a few. Chris has been putting a few of them on, and mm. every time they're on, I enjoy them. So maybe I should give it give it more more, of a chance. more time. <laughs> um, yeah, but I I thought it was very watchable. Um, I really liked some of the like scary stuff, those sort of horror movie right. stuff with the the board coming to life um i do hate all of the bending to make it fit in the continuity like they don't say we are borg right <laughs> like i don't why wouldn't they say that <laughs> like that, that that doesn't make any sense um but other than that i didn't have any problems with the continuity because they're not the timeline doesn't make sense that they cause the Borg to come and seek uh, seek the Enterprise in the 24th century. So there's no causality loop or anything. It's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I accept it. It it was good. I don't know if it's the best episode of Enterprise. I haven't watched enough Enterprise uh, recently to be able to make that determination. But um, but you have seen the, the full series. Yes, I have. Yeah. I have seen it. Yeah. I but I've only seen the full series I think once. Yeah, so right. yeah, and and it was a while ago. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to to tell. Sure. Um but you know what? Definitely better than the Ferengi. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, uh well said though. Um you know, and passionately said. Uh Zachy, what what do you think? Man, I'm such a big fan of this episode. I uh <laughs> I never had any of the continuity issues that that were uh, understandable, you know, that a, lot of pe- that a lot of people had. But I definitely, I feel like by the time this episode aired, the cake was already baked where people, the plurality of fans were already biased against the show. So anything, they, they found any excuse to be like, see, this is, this sucks, you know. Not, Chris, I'm not lumping you in with that, but you know. No, 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 it's fine. The narrative had sort of, you know, and I think, unfortunately, that narrative, which was not helped by acquisition, which I agree is not the show at its finest, but I think the narrative uh, sort of uh, biased a lot of people away from recognizing really how smartly this show does weave itself in uh, with pre-existing continuity, while also giving, uh, uh, you know, giving some real moments of growth for for the crew of NX-01 and really making the Borg uh, the kind of threat they haven't been since maybe Q Who. 
in that this is the first time that we're dealing with a crew that has no idea who they are. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, it has a terrific score by Brian Tyler and, you know, I, I have the enterprise soundtrack and the, the, the score for this episode is one that I tend to listen to a lot because I think it's really great propulsive, uh, music. It's very different from, uh, the, the majority of the series, which kind of, you know, there was sort of a sameness to a lot of Star Trek music at that time. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the, the ways in which it leans into, extant trek continuity really drives home to me one of the the biggest uh benefits of living in this uh, playing in this universe is you have all these things that you can draw on and yeah sure you have to tiptoe around the minefield of continuity but when you do it in a fun and clever way well you end up with something really special like this episode yeah uh i I agree completely with zaki um yeah it's it's definitely um story-wise they 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 definitely make sure that they uh, they will shave off a block to make sure that it fits into the peg uh, into the um, for for this episode. But it's fun, it's fun, um, and uh, and and the fact that again, like this is the point in the show. I feel like where Enterprise plants its flag on the Star Trek planet, you know, and says. Yeah, we we actually do belong here. We are we're part of it now, whether you like it or not. Uh, well, and to Zaki's point as well, uh, I think he's absolutely right in in terms of just the fact that it made the Borg scary again. Yes, yes. Because you know the more the most recent times that we had seen the Borg, uh, and Cicero, you should know this maybe even better than the rest of us because you watched it so recently. But Voyager kind of made them right they were punks. not very frightening right. anymore you know and this issue covered or the issue this episode covered quite a bit of ground in uh in returning them to a menace not seen since at least first contact but yeah zaki's probably right since their first appearance in q who yeah um yeah so i mean we kind of answered this a little but but uh let's go back around the table and and uh, were you encouraged or dismayed when you realized that this episode was so heavily tied into first contact uh, canon? Um, Zachy, I know that you famously have said, uh, you know, repeatedly on this show that anything that that brings Enterprise closer into canon is a good thing. Uh, so you, mm-hmm. you I'm assuming that you hated this episode. Oh, passionately. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. You know, I I think that you have the little the the little moments. You know, like uh, you, we start right out with you know the the camera pulls out and we see the remnants of the Borg sphere, and it's like if you if you know if you've done your homework, you're like ah see, and then like later on um, you have you have uh, Captain Archer being like yeah you know Zephyr Cochran he gave he mentioned this thing one time, and 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 I love that. Again, it's one of those things where it rewards the long timers. It's not, you know, it's not a barrier to entry. It's just a neat little Easter egg that adds texture, right? Like, let's say you, let's say somehow inexplicably you haven't watched any of Next Generation. You came in with Enterprise. Well, the show has still given you enough context on who Zephram Cochran is right. that you're not going to be left out in the cold uh, with the, this thing about about the Borg. But uh, but the beauty of it is that it it 
it plays within the framework of the events of first contact are established historical fact. Um, and so, you know, enterprise is able to weave that in while preserving all the canon, you know, and, and just to, 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 uh, to, I, answer the complaint about how they don't refer to themselves as Borg. This is something that the, the, the writers uh, have said uh, that they basically, they built themselves in a back door by saying essentially they're not Borg yet. Right. They're, they're Borgifying, but they're kind of in this weird thing where there are these drones that are being drawn to, you know, Borg territory where they will become Borg, but they're not Borg yet. Right. And it's like, that's like a no prize thing. Like, okay, I guess. I guess. Well, we, we, we actually talked because we rewatched this episode last night. And I guess that, that, that makes even more sense because the, the supposition that I had had, cause I was not aware of what the writers had said about that was that, you know, they're cut off from the collective. They're cut off from their queen right. that they haven't had access to in a hundred years. Uh, maybe, maybe they're not Borg. You know, yeah. Hey, hey guys, hey guys, that's my next question. <laughs> I'm talking about sorry, sorry, sorry. It's a juicy right, one, right, right. but uh, yeah. So, um, well, Rachel, what did you think about? Were you, were you like once you realized that it was tied into first contact? Um, were you dismayed or 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 encouraged by by that? mixed feelings i love first contact so it's i i like references to it they make me feel happy inside but like i said sometimes the sort of forced continuity and retcons can grate on my nerves a little bit um like that that Borg thing did, but we could talk more about that in your next. One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, Chris, wh- what were your feelings? I know you were talking about a, a lot about the Borg, but what what were your feelings about um, you know knowing how how closely this one was tied into? Uh, I I mean I think in general it it makes sense because really the the whole pitch up for enterprise as a series the groundwork is all laid in first contact you know i mean this is really the it's the show that's you know obviously in in the closest proximity to zephram cochran's first warp flight but really we had never seen that first warp flight or what he or how he was conducting himself until the first contact movie the single appearance of Zephram Cochran in the continuity was in a TOS episode called metamorphosis. And he certainly didn't look anything like James Cromwell or act like James Cromwell. And uh, you know, the kudos to uh, the production team of first contact for rolling the dice to sort of recharacterize him because that did help give a character to what enterprise would become. Uh, You know, because in first contact, you have the TNG crew. You had the crew, of the enterprise E that revered Zephram Cochran, similarly to the way that we revere president Lincoln. Right. Sure. But then enterprise comes along and positions Archer to actually be that true, uh, federation pioneer and innovator. And, uh, so I, I think it makes sense in the, in, in the, in the sense that first contact did a significant amount of groundwork laying the groundwork for what enterprise would become. 
but just as a story, it ties things together reasonably well. Like I said before, at the time, I didn't really care for it, but right. I, I, I admire the craftsmanship in the canon uh, nowadays, most especially. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess for, you know, for me, I, I was never, um, you know, I never even really thought about the continuity. I was just, I was happy that it was like, oh, hey, one thing in Star Trek that I know and I like is going to be in this other thing of Star Trek that I know and I like. That's cool. Let's see how it works. And, you know, let's have a goofy ride. Um, but, uh, yeah, the word Borg, as we've already kind of talked about, the word Borg was never real, was never used in this episode. Um, you know, I talked about them as Borg. We see them. We know that they are Borg. Um, but they're, they're never, they never call themselves Borg. Uh, they're never referred to as Borg. Um, what's the theory from you guys? And, and I think Zachy's already, we'll start with Zachy. What's the theory on why this artistic choice was made? Um, you know, Zachy already has the answer, I think. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was necessary, right? Because you can't, it's, it's like you have to, you know, like you said earlier, right? You, you, to tell the story, you have to, uh, you know, sand the edges off the block because it's, that's, you have, how do you make this fit? We want the we want Enterprise NX01 to have an encounter with the Borg. The documented first encounter with the Borg is Q who 200 years later. Okay, how do we make this work? And and I think I they were still very much smarting from the the reaction to acquisition. So I think they were extra conscious of okay, we really have to you know dot our eyes and and uh, you know cross our t's to make sure that this this fits and uh, you know i think to whatever extent the 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 framework they created i mean it, it worked for me I, I i don't fault anybody for whom it didn't work but i i do appreciate that they did make an active effort to be be like this is how this fits it still works yeah um you know I, absolutely um rachel what about the board um what about them? So I could definitely, I could definitely see what Chris is saying since they're not fully in contact with the collective. That they could be, they're sort of like a splinter cell of the consciousness, so a fragment, if you will, <laughs> not at full capacity, such that perhaps they, for some reason, when they are not at full capacity, they don't say we are Borg or they have some sort of malfunction in their processing such that they forgot to say it <laughs> um or mention it or maybe the we are borg is the queen talking the queen's consciousness talking mm. i don't know if if i might offer a, a, a metaphor and maybe this isn't a perfect metaphor but to me the 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 drones in progress that we see here are the equivalent of the iphone right out the box yes. the software is all installed yes. but you haven't they haven't plugged into itunes yet and they haven't gotten a firmware that upgrade is correct yeah well yeah and you should you know, haven't uploaded all of your old uh, apps and data on there. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't gotten that YouTube album yet. <laughs> <laughs> Never delete. Um, right. But so, yeah, I guess I could talk myself out of being annoyed by it. <laughs> think about it and just be cool and it's fine. <laughs> no, like, uh, yeah. 
be angry. You could you could be upset by it all. Rachel's <laughs> agony booth. Come on, come on. It's not. It's not worth it though. <laughs> There's so many things to be angry about. I I just don't know if this is worth it. I they they didn't say they were Borg. You know what? I'm gonna harass some people on Twitter about oh. this. I'm gonna start searching Twitter oh, no. for people who like this episode <laughs> and just seek them out. Mob them for reasons. That is correct. <laughs> we are Borg. We are um, Borg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hashtag, right. we are boring. That's how I will call my people right. to me and start this new, uh, you know, part of the internet. Right. Uh, so crazy, crazy weird old guys tangent sidebar. Um, that made me, we are boring hashtag army made me think about uh, in New York, there were, there were street gangs um, and there was one street gang called the Decepticons, they called Decept. And right before they would fight, they would transform. So all the people would <laughs> would like make movements and they would make the noise. <laughs> and they would like transform before they before they whooped your ass. Like were these like teenagers? <laughs> these are teenagers, yes. The Decepts, yeah. yeah the right. Decepticons. So that's that just makes me think uh, you know, the Twitter they'll be we are Borg. And then there'll just be a bunch of people just walking in the straight lines going resistance is futile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give it time. Right. Uh, Chris, what did you think about uh, the Borg mission, the Borgo mission from this uh, from this episode? I, I don't think it was anything more complicated than uh, they just can't know who it is yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I respect it. I mean, it's kind of a... Um, it's an understated way to sidestep uh, continuity anachronism. You know, it, it doesn't draw too much attention to itself. It's just an omission. You know, it's just something that that doesn't happen. Um, so it didn't. It doesn't really bother me. I mean, if anything, I'd have probably been pissed off if they didn't do that and if they actually did say we are the Borg. Right. But uh, you know, I mean, overall, I think that it's it's probably the most elegant way if you're going to have the Borg show up two centuries earlier than we think they're supposed to, then the only way to, you know, not have that word Borg in the, the Federation historical database is for them not to say it and for there not to really be anything left of the ship by the time the episode is over. So, you know, as a one-off, it's fine. I think the thing that I was worried about initially when I heard about this episode's concept way back when was that I thought it might open the door for the Borg to be a more regular antagonist well before they should be. And that didn't happen. That was an unwarranted worry on my part. So yeah, it's fine. I think, I think it makes sense considering what they did. Well, Chris, it's funny. You should say that Um, while the Borg wasn't planned to be a regular part of the enterprise uh, run, there was a follow-up episode that was planned. Uh, writers Judith and, and Garfield Reeve Stevens uh, pitched the story to uh, the powers that be, where uh, they would it would be a couple of years later after regeneration, and actress Alice Kriege would come back and and play right. a play a uh, just like a farm girl. 
who gets captured and becomes the Borg Queen, which she played in First Contact. That's right. I do remember hearing about that. And, you know, Alice Krieg is one of the better antagonists in Star Trek, in my estimation. Yeah. I, uh, I find the Borg Queen to be a really engaging character. But, you know, it's that age-old question of how effectively a prequel can take advantage of something because there's a lot of mystique that surrounds the Borg Queen. It's It's almost like... You know, do we need an no, origin story don't. for the Joker? Most most of the time, the comics say no, yeah. you don't, because he's like the shark in Jaws; he tears through a story. Uh, so, it would have been the, the the thing that I had heard was that she was going to be some sort of uh, early Starfleet officer. Oh, right, yes, yes. and that yes. she and that she was going to be you know out on a survey mission or right. something, and would eventually we would find out how she would kind of become the Borg Queen. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting concept for an episode. The, the Reeve Stevens are some of the best Star Trek writers, I think. Uh, they, they've written several really great Star Trek books, and they've obviously written several great Star Trek episodes. Um, I'm not sure if that's a question we needed an answer to. Right. Maybe the episode would have proved me wrong, like this one does now. But uh, some, some questions are, are better left hanging, yeah. I think. And, and when it comes to the Borg Queen, I'm inclined to think that. But you never know. It, it, it might have become a new classic if, if Enterprise had continued on. But, uh, you know, who, who who knows how things would have yeah. gone. But it, it definitely would have been interesting. Yeah, well, that that is for sure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's pedantic continuity time. <laughs> which means... Chris, it's time to shine. Let's start with our pedantic continuity captain, Chris Clow. Chris... The plot of this story brings up a very important continuity question that I hadn't really even thought about until watching this episode. Star Trek has three continuity timelines. There's the TOS timeline, the Kelvin timeline from from the films, and I guess the first contact timeline where the Borg have invaded the Earth in the 21st century. Had you thought of this, and would you call it a a timeline continuity shift? And if not, how do you explain it away? Oh man, you've opened you've opened a can of worms here (laughs) because you know you could say, and I know some people that actually do say this. I saw, in fact, I think on Twitter recently, I saw someone that had a cover photo. They're a big Star Trek fan, but they said, R.I.P. Star Trek 1966 to 1978. Huh. Like they they only include the original series and, and motion, not even any of the movies. Well, the motion picture, right? Was that 79? 79. Oh. 79. Like they don't even include that because it's – Specific. I guess it's too far of, a, of an aesthetic departure from what the show sure. did. But – I mean, if you really wanted to dive into it, I mean, you could say that any time travel outing in the Star Trek franchise could have created some sort of splintering of the timeline. The biggest one that I think often comes up is uh, the Nexus in Star Trek Generations. Right, yes. You know, did, is, is that timeline where Tolly and Soren destroyed the Amagosa Star 
still out there or was it actually repaired or do we just see some split timeline where Picard is actually still in the Nexus after that point in generations going forward up to the Picard show that will (laughs) premiere next year. Uh, So this is something that I have thought about a little bit, but my general attitude when it comes to, I guess, the, the temporal prime directive and the integrity of the timeline in general is that Starfleet does whatever it can to, uh, to keep most of established history that they are aware of and that we are aware of as closely intact as possible. You could also say that the timeline might have splintered when Benjamin Sisko played Gabriel Bell in the Bell Riots in Deep Space Nine when they went back to the 21st century. So, but then, you know, so that's technically a splintering, but Sisko did something in order to preserve history. So everything continued as it was supposed to be. So does that mean that the timeline was fractured? You could say the same thing in in, in Deep Space Nine about them going back to the trouble with Tribbles. You know, is that timeline where you have an older, uh, an older Arn Darvin with Odo and Worf chasing after him, another separate timeline? Is that, does that make the trouble with triples play out totally differently than we know? See what you did. <laughs> you opened up this whole thing. Triple universe prime. Exactly. Like, so there could be, it's, it, this could be a crisis on infinite yes. earths to, to steal a, a, a phrase from DC comics, but in general, I try not to think too much about it because at the end of the day, the the people that have traveled in time throughout the history of the Star Trek universe or multiverse, if you want to put it that way, uh, have done so in order to try and preserve history as we know it. So I prefer not to see those as fragmentations uh, because if you look into it, there could be a lot of them. That's my basic. I think that's as basic as I could possibly get. Um, yeah. Well. Okay. Well. Basic. Can, can I? Can I? Yes, can I chime please, in? Please, please, Zachy. Uh, you know, I I think uh, the way I've always looked at it is that the the Star Trek approach to time travel and timelines didn't fundamentally change until star trek 2009 yes right mm-hmm. yeah so as as presented it it's always been if somebody goes back and makes a change we've got to fix it otherwise our timeline's not waiting for us that's how it's always been so in my head and maybe this is just me like you know creating a headcanon but i think this is what makes sense to me is there was something fundamentally different about what Nero did right. mm-hmm. that made it different from all the other timeline. And I say it was fundamentally different because Spock prime ends up in this alternate universe and he's not, you know, uh, crap in his pants trying to set things right. He's like, all right, this is where we're at. So let's, you know, I'm going to try to get sort of, you know, make sure things don't get too screwed up here, but he's not like, we got to reset everything. He's content living in an alternate reality. So to me, that's the, you know, the phrase that they use in, in the movie is alternate reality, not alternate timeline. Right. And I think that's that to me, that's, that's what makes sense is that what Nero did was essentially shunt them into uh, an alternate universe, not so much going back in time and creating, a, a branch, but it's just, you know, a, a parallel universe. So says the professor. 
I don't know if any of that oh made sense, gosh. but it made sense in yeah, my head, I promise. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that was, the, you know, like I said, so says the professor. I mean, yes. <laughs> well said. I'm like Doc Brown yes. in Back to the Future 2, like drawn on a chalkboard, you know? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Zaki Hassan. Uh, in this <laughs> reality, Frank <laughs> Scott. <laughs> it's like a picture of me getting like committed right. to an insane assignment. This is what happened here. We go back to the 1985. Um, <laughs> Your students are like, we thought this was a right. <laughs> uh, soon to be Dr. Rachel Clow. Uh, what, what do you think about the pedantic continuity of three timelines. Um, I agree with Zaki and Chris in that if you split the timeline every time there's a split, there's too many timelines and it's too confusing. So let's just say there's one timeline and a Kelvin timeline. So there are two timelines. Okay. The first contact did not cause a split in the timeline because of reasons Um, (laughs) and well you know maybe it did but like we've never experienced um you know like any significant canon happening within that uh timeline so like maybe every single time there's a time jump event a new timeline is created but we never experienced those except maybe in the uh, episode where Worf is bouncing between closely related parallel universes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, that that is that's what's happening. I've decided All right. <laughs> is that there's there are multiple timelines, but we don't spend any time in any of them except for the main one and the Kelvin. Oh, well, bang the gavel! So we we just simply cannot worry about it. It is. <laughs> too much for our minds (laughs) (laughs) i love it all right bang the gavel that that is the answer that's the definitive answer um uh, bonus question time guys do you think at this point now the borg are dead in the 22nd century uh chris it's funny that you mentioned that because i uh i asked this question on Twitter last night, specifically to two friends of the show uh, that are, are big Star Trek fans about whether or not the Tarkalians, when they were blown out uh, into space, right. survived. Right. One of them said, yes, they survived. The, 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 uh, the nanoprobes would protect them from the vacuum of space, so it's quite possible that there are Borg in the 22nd and potentially 23rd century if they survive that long. Uh, another one, Kyle Sullivan, who you guys yes. all know, said that no, they couldn't have survived. It's it's the vacuum of space being exposed to different kinds of, uh, of, of radiation that you're not protected from in an atmosphere, obviously, and the biology just simply wouldn't allow them to live very long maybe a little while but not long enough to you know stay alive in perpetuity uh i honestly don't know i kind of hope that they're just dead because i don't think discovery needs a borg encounter uh but that would kind of be the potential implications about whether or not the the tarkalian survived or not 
barring some other aspect of, of canon that I'm not currently aware of or that the Discovery writers could be cooking up, I don't think they're going to lean on the Borg uh, for anything. Uh, it, it would certainly be visually interesting considering the other departures that Discovery's aesthetic is made from the rest of the franchise. It would probably be menacing and terrifying and modern Borg is something I would like to see at some point. Um, but I, I think I'm inclined to believe at this point that they're dead and that we're not going to encounter the Borg again before we're supposed to. Rachel, are the Borg dead in the 22nd century? Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> um, I don't care to see them in Discovery. Of course, if they were in the Discovery universe, they would be um, you know, very menacing, very scary, very the actors would be covered in three inches of foam right <laughs> like prostheses yes. <laughs> around their faces and everything because apparently all aliens are like have giant faces um yeah that's something i've become annoyed about in the last couple of months well but <laughs> i i failed to bring it up at the beginning of the show but i should have mentioned that i got the the season one blu-ray for discovery huh. which includes some behind the scenes stuff very sophisticated makeup really work. yeah stuff that would yeah, not sure. be possible 20 years ago really? and totally unnecessary for the indoor <laughs> just paint them blue it's fine um like <laughs> we can discuss it on another episode okay. Chris, because right. you're, you're making a face like this is going to be a whole thing you're, you're gonna so make, you're anyway gonna... i don't want to see borg foam borg versions <laughs> um just because like i would like to see some some new stories um and it looks like that's what we're gonna get in the in the new season <laughs> zacky did the borg die in 2153 do I think they died? Uh, sure, I guess. If, if if they're dead, unless we say they're not dead, or unless we are told they're not dead. Okay, all right. It's it's Schroding, Schrodinger's yeah, board. Right. You know, they're both dead and not dead. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I I want to think that the Borg um did die, unless there's a reason to to bring them back. Um, and, and I think that it would be interesting to see, um, to see Discovery's take on the Borg, but if Discovery sees the Borg, then, then the cat's out of the bag. Like then, you know, then the Federation knows about the Borg, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, and the UFP knows about the Borg like that, you know, that's not. That's not something, you know, first contact with the Borg would be in Discovery, and that would totally change canon, which means then it therefore can't happen unless they do some Section 31, you know, voodoo magic and men in, men in black <laughs> everybody, and, and it, you know, just kind of goes away. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, so this episode was not my favorite episode in... Uh, all of Trek. I mean, it wasn't even my favorite episode of Enterprise. But the reason I chose this episode was because I thought it was emblematic of the character archetypes um, you'll find throughout Enterprise's four seasons. Uh, totally agree. Meaning, if someone is a fan of other Trek series but had never seen Enterprise, this episode gives them a perfect 
glimpse of who all of these characters are throughout the run. Agree or disagree, Zachy, you were to go first, and what do you think? You know, I, I, yes, first of all, I 100% agree with what you just said. And I think uh, when you look at it squarely within the Enterprise arc, you know, absent everything else, I think it really uh, gives us a nice progression on um, Jonathan Archer's journey from beginning to end. Because, you know, when we see him at the beginning of the show, he's, uh, you know, this he's just so enthusiastic and excited. Oh, there's a new thing. Let's explore this. He's like a kid right. in a toy store. You know, he's out in the, the final frontier. And we see him get progressively harder uh, as the show progresses, especially, you know, in, in the third season, which I think is tremendous. You know, I, I recommend that people watch that whole season as like one long arc. I think it's terrific. But uh, the moment in this episode when uh, Archer comes back from the Tarkalian ship and, and he just very coldly, he's like, there's no one on that ship we can help mm-hmm. anymore. Or it's not the Tarkalian ship, it's the scientist Right, right. it's the survey, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, the survey team, and he says, there's no one we can help anymore, you know? And then later on when um, uh, the, the, the Borg remaining on Enterprise are blown out into space and just the look on his face. And I, I again, you know, looking at, at his progression, it's him having to deal with the reality that space is a nasty place. Right. And there's going to be a lot more of these kind of difficult choices that he has to make. So, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't give uh, Captain Archer uh, enough, you know, uh, credit. I, I think he's a fascinating character. I think it's. So, I think. I think we got an arc with him that is really unique from any other Star Trek captain. Um, of by virtue of of having to deal with the, the, these these realizations as he goes along, and I think this episode neatly encompasses a lot yeah, of that. Well said, uh, Rachel. I don't remember Enterprise well enough to be able to answer this question. (laughs) (laughs) Also, a a fair Um, answer. (laughs) But nobody seemed out like out of character from my memories. Like I wasn't like, oh yeah. Um, I mean, like you alluded to, I think like Travis and Hoshi weren't really in it that much. Right. Or was Trip? Well, so you know, and the funny thing is, Trip was a was an integral part of of this episode, but he didn't go anywhere. You know, he he was mm-hmm. he was always in places where people had already been. So you know, he spent a lot of of his time in the in the second and you know second and third act up in the uh, hacked paneling area trying to crack, you know, trying to decode the hack, being a, you know, being a white hat yeah. uh, hacker over there. So, um, but he was, he was very, very crucial uh, to helping Reed and uh, uh, helping cap the captain and helping the ship. Right. But in terms of its construction, it was fairly, I felt typical of, of enterprises tone and, um, sort of structure like you could if you watch this episode and no other episodes of enterprise you could reasonably get a feel for what the show was going to be right. like so i agree with you on okay, that okay right on and uh chris yeah i think that it's pretty uh it's pretty representative of who everybody is and what they bring to the table uh i mean a, a star trek show is only as good as the dynamic of the crew um and uh, these characters, 
I think they do a, a good job of, of creating a, a dynamic that is defined by shared struggle in a truly unknown environment for them. I mean, that's kind of the name of the game with Enterprise. Right. Uh, I totally agree with Zachy, especially when it comes to sort of looking at where Archer would go into season three and four. Uh, you know, in, in, in the first two seasons, he's a little more straight laced than he, I mean, he's kind of straight laced through all four seasons to a degree, but particularly in season three, you start to see that facade wear down a bit because of the, the rather heavy realities that he has to face when going after the Zindi in the, in the Delphic expanse. And uh, you start to see the, where his firmer resolve will take him when he chooses to, uh, to depressurize the corridor and send the Tarkalians out into space. It's something that he did not want to do and he didn't feel great about doing it. Didn't stop him from doing it though, because he knew it needed to be done. And he would go on to face a lot of choices like that over the course of the rest of the show. So, yeah, uh, I mean, as as far as representing who the characters are, and particularly in representing who Captain Archer is, it's it is very emblematic. Um, if I had to pick, you know, even an episode from this, really, season two of Enterprise, I think, gets kind of a bum rap in general uh, because the episode right after this, I believe, anyway, is First yes. Flight. And I, I, I really yeah, like that episode, episode quite a bit. It's a fantastic. In yeah. fact, uh, objectively, I, you know, I like that episode more than this one. Yeah, and I probably do right. too. Um, and it, it's it's got a very sort of aviation pioneer kind right. of feel to it, which is something that I, I actually really really like. But uh, but if you would just watch this and and nothing else, you would have a pretty decent idea of who most of these characters are. I think Captain Archer and Dr. Phlox get the most chance to shine out of this episode, but uh, it's a good showcase of the dynamic and would prove to be kind of a building block for stuff that we would see in the future. Yeah. Um, well, so if I can leave everyone with a coda, because I, I loved watching uh, episodes of G.I. Joe and uh, Mr. Rogers' <laughs> Neighborhood, um, it's that... Sometimes your favorite doesn't always mean it's the best. Um, this episode isn't the one that I like the most. Um, but as as I think we discussed in, in the last question, it's about trying to get other people into your cult. Um, trying to assimilate, if you will, uh, your 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 friends, people that you hold dear into understanding and appreciating a thing that you really enjoy. And if yeah. I have a friend who is a Star Trek fan, but wasn't a fan of Enterprise because they had heard such negative things about it, maybe they missed the original run um, and they haven't uh, really gone into it. Um, this is an episode as we've, I think we've discussed is that, immediately ties it into one of the best cinematic movies from the entire Star Trek run uh, and a, a fan favorite series uh, from those groups uh, being Star Trek uh, First Contact and, and the Next Generation crew and ties all of that stuff in with, with the Borg, a, a very formidable enemy 
uh, and does a does a I think a uh, great job of showcasing this crew, uh, this crew that you would come to know over four seasons if you decide to stay on that journey. And I think that this is the perfect episode to show uh, show other Trek fans to get them on board on into the crew of the Enterprise. Uh, and with that, I will uh, step out of the con because it is it's a tough seat to fill. Chris, please take your chair. Uh, well, you did a fantastic job. I think that uh, I think that can be said with with true certainty. So thank you, my friend, for taking us on that journey to an episode of Enterprise, a show that, you know, it it was so easy, especially in, in years prior to 2017, for people to label Enterprise as the black sheep of the franchise. But I think there's a renewed appreciation for it. I mean, do you guys get that kind of sense? Zachy, what do you think? Do you think that Enterprise, uh, particularly in the face of such vehement opposition from a certain segment of fans towards the changes that Discovery is kind of applying to the franchise, do you think that Enterprise might be elevated a little bit more than it has been in the past? I don't know if it's being uh, elevated per se, but I think it is being at least given a chance, and that's something. You know, uh, I, I, I may have told this story in this show, I can't remember, but you know, a couple of years ago I went through uh, Enterprise with my kids, and so that was really their first sustained exposure to Star Trek, and, and uh, they were doing uh, sidewalk chalk, and so they drew the NX-01, and they wrote Captain Archer's yeah. ship. Wow, cool. And uh, so I took a picture of that, and I, um, I I happen to be friends with Brandon Braga on Facebook, so I sent that to him. And I'm like, I you know I know you've you've probably dealt with people just shitting all over Enterprise, and I want you to know that that's not everybody. It's it, it for for a lot of people that's going to be their first, you know. And he wrote back, and he, he said that really meant a lot. And I got to I had him on my podcast, and something he said, and I always tell people this about Enterprise. He's like, you know, a lot of people haven't seen it. And he's like, if they haven't seen it, you know, there's a hundred Star Treks that they have not seen that are just like waiting for them. Yeah. And and that's really what it comes down to is it's been long enough now where whatever beefs people had, they they in theory, they should be able to let that stuff go. And then, hey, you know what? Here's this Star Trek you've never seen. You may like some, you may not like others, but you know what? You got a bunch of Star Trek and, and isn't that cool? Like for me, I haven't seen Voyager, you know, and I, when it first aired, I had my issues with that show, but now I'm kind of like, you know, it's going to be fun to get through it. Cause there's a bunch of Star Trek right. I haven't seen, mm-hmm. right. you know? Yeah. And, and really you don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah. Because it, was, it was 12 years that we were without Star Trek on television. 12 grueling long <laughs> years without a new television exploitation of the franchise. And, you know, for whatever grievances people might have had with Enterprise while it was on the air, man, having Star Trek is infinitely preferable to not having it at all. Especially, you know, because Star Trek in general, I think, has had uh, people that care about seeing it continue. And Enterprise was no exception. And Discovery is no exception. But, uh, you know, in hindsight, especially, uh, Enterprise, I think, maybe is just kind of starting to be, because, you know, back then it was, well, there's Enterprise and then there's Star Trek. 
And now those people are like, well, there's Discovery and then there's Star Trek. And now Enterprise is lumped in. So the next time we get a weird Star right. Trek show that looks different, then it's going to be, well, it's it's Explorer and then Star Trek, you know, it's or whatever decks. it ends up being called. You, you, yeah, there, there's Lower Decks, then there's Star Trek. And, you know, it, progressively things just kind of become. It's, it's almost like time seems to be the key element hmm. for your legitimacy. How about or, that? You know, someone once told me that time is like a predator <laughs> that stalks you. <laughs> I really believe time is, you know, I, I need to tell you guys this story because this is a Star Trek show. Yes, so, please. Uh, uh, this is a couple of months ago. Uh, I was watching Generations and uh, I was sitting there watching and, and uh, my TV room is like right next to the kitchen. So my wife was in there cooking. And so it, I watch it right up to the point where it's at the end of the movie where, you know, that's, you know, Riker's like, oh, shit, but not before her time. And then Picard launches into that spiel. So I like pause it there and I'm like, hey, I'm going to, and my wife, I'm like, hey, I'm going to, she's like, yeah. I'm like, you know, somebody once told me that time is like a predator. And I know this like whole monologue by heart. <laughs> of course. And I'm like, you know, how, what we leave behind isn't as important as how we've lived. After all, we're only mortal. She's like, wow, yeah, you know, that's really true. Yeah, good point. And she goes back to doing what she's doing. And then I just hit play and here's Patrick Stewart doing the same thing. And she's like, did you just... (laughs) Brilliant. That's exactly the kind of of story that I would love to conclude us on. That's that's very nicely done. Well, my friends, thank you for, for coming to us for another Debrief's Favorites. But that is going to do it for episode number 30 of Discovery Debrief. Now, just before we conclude, we do plan on actually continuing Debrief's favorites with some special guests in the forms of friends of the show. Next time, though, we'll plan on having a new episode to you about the latest short trek to discuss. And this time it's going to focus on a primary Discovery character and it gives us hints into his backstory. So after we get together to talk about that, We'll share some more details about the future of Debrief's favorites and what we have in store uh, up until the launch of season two of Discovery, where God willing, we'll be back to you with regular weekly recaps of the latest Star Trek series. So definitely look forward to that, but that's going to do it for episode 30 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you were if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook-like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss the penultimate episode of Short Treks as we barrel forward towards season two of Discovery in January. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 